Okay, John chapter 3 this morning. Uh, This morning we want to look at a passage that should have a great appeal to everyone gathered here this morning. It is both simplistic in its nature and complex in its discovery, regardless of who you are, where you're at, what your experience is, whether brand new to church or long in the truth, in the gospel, this passage should have something for you. It contains a passage that literally millions have put to memory. Countless numbers have responded to this gospel, God's gospel, because of this one passage. All right, it's long this morning, so let me apologize in advance. Um, Long piece of scripture, way too much to incorporate, so we're just going to whet the appetite for it all, right? But John chapter 3, verse 1 says as follows. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. That's significant who he is. A member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. You cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. We testify of what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Okay, where are you at this morning? 
I, I think sometimes we, we, we need to um, navel gaze, if you will. We need to examine ourselves, our intents, where we're at. Where are you at this morning? You're in church. You're online watching church. Why? Where are you at? Perhaps you were like Nicodemus, who was very educated and knowledgeable about the Bible, but needed an encounter with Jesus to cement that faith. Perhaps you were brand new, just learning about God, about the Bible, and, and about who Jesus is. You're in the right place. Because these people here, these people, a part of the church, or who want to, to uh, communicate with you, want to share Jesus with you, want to teach. But I think we need to look at this passage this morning and realize that we need to dig a little deeper into what the context has for us this morning. And we examine this passage in light of the rest of Jesus' teachings. I had John chapter 3, you know, when James asked me, and he says, you're, you're preaching on John chapter 3, and I, and I looked at it and went, oh my goodness. Um, John chapter 3 is about this much information, and we've got this much time. So um, I'll hit some of the points I'll hit what I think is important because I think this is what God wants me to speak on this morning. But if there's a favorite little tidbit in there that I bypassed, well, we'll talk later. Okay. There's two very key passages here this morning that have spoken to millions over the years. You must be born again. And then for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Those two things. These are two very familiar passages, and they have been used and abused over the years. Uh, one car dealership said, you can be born again if you buy this car. Okay. Um, elsewhere, I don't know if you remember this, but at major sporting events, what did you see? You see a guy with a really weird wig and a big sign saying, John 3.16. Well, how come? John 3.16, you know, it, it's this passage, right? And it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, that key passage, and they felt it was so important, they're going to put it on the placard and shove it where everybody can see it. Why? In an attempt to share the gospel, perhaps a failed attempt, but an attempt nonetheless. Let me ask you a question. What do you need? If you're a child of God, if, if you um, love the Lord and, and you want to serve him, if you want to be on mission, what do you need? And always, um, you know, we, we talk about discipling people, ab about helping them to know who Jesus is and who the church is and all of these things and teach people. But in all of that, there's one question that needs to be asked. What's the next step? So for you, what's that next step? What do you need? What do you need this morning? From the church? From God himself? What do you need? When I first started asking questions about God, about the Bible, about what I needed to do and respond to God, a friend of mine told me about Jesus. I, frankly, didn't think that I needed to know about Jesus. I wanted to know about the church. You know, the kind of the organization, this building. But she told me about Jesus. And, and that's what the church is about. The church is not about this building. It's not about this denomination. It's not about this, this link up uh, electronically. It's about Jesus. 
The word gospel simply means good news. It is the good news about Jesus. Here we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus, and Jesus gives him the truth that at first glance is simple. It's simple, but amazingly deep in its understanding. We don't have the time to completely unpack this, like I mentioned, but we'll, we'll skim the top, if you will. Notice what it says in verse 3. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Born by water and born of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You know, there's various interpretations of this passage. Some refer back to a a prophecy of Ezekiel. Um, Some compare it to um, Christian baptism, that being water and such. But I, I like the simplicity of the context. Born of water. What happens when a woman's ready to give birth? Her water breaks. Born of the spirit. A spiritual change. When we entrust ourselves to Jesus, when we believe, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us and, and, and changes us from the inside out. There's a spiritual rebirth, if you will, born of water, born of the Spirit. The Greek has one word for fathering a child and another for giving birth. The word geneo is, is the, the word for fathering a child, and it's the word that Jesus uses here, very interestingly. Almost, if you'll forgive the term, that we are not to be born again, but sired again, fathered again, born again. And it's much like we see in the context, being born of water, natural birth, being born of the Spirit, where our Heavenly Father somehow brings new birth to us by his spirit. It's a very incredibly interesting thing to, to, to study. And I, I kind of thought about this and I thought, wow, community group, we could spend the next four months just studying John chapter three. But anyway, I, dig, I digress. We need to know that Nicodemus asked for clarification. He doesn't ask about being sired again, if you will, and use that word by his father, but rather entering a second time into the woman's womb. He's confused, and he's trying to bring clarity to it. And this is Nicodemus, remember? A member of the Jewish ruling council, a teacher of teachers, an incredibly trained individual. Yet he's before Jesus and not knowing how to respond. It would take a long time to communicate the entire truths of what rebirth means. But the message today is to whet the appetite. What goes through your mind when you see that? Mmm, yeah. Okay, we need to whet the appetite for what God has for you today. When you come to church, do you come expectant? Are you coming just to see your friends? Are you coming going, oh, I'm going to meet with God today. God's going to do something important in my life today. We should come with that expectation of going, God, what, what do you have for me today? It should whet the appetite. Nicodemus needed a change of his heart, a spiritual transformation, new birth, being born again. It's an act of God whereby eternal life is imparted to the person who believes. You know, it's kind of like love. Unless you're in it, you don't get it, right? Um, Believing is not seeing, or sorry, seeing is not believing. Believing is then seeing, right? 
Come on, church. Right? Do you get it? How many of you are awake? Okay, this half is. I don't know about you guys. Okay. The Apostle Paul said this. If any person be in Christ, he's a new creation. In Christ, new creation. All things have become new. Now, notice verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his, King James would have said, only begotten, but only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know what eternal means, right? It's like the fisherman who comes home and it goes, it was this big. That was funny. Never mind. This is an amazing statement because the Greek word cosmos, translated world, is the world that is opposed to God. How could God love such a world? Ask this. How could God love me or love you? Luther said, if I were as our Lord God and and these vile people were as disobedient as they now be, I would knock the world to pieces. Look around the world. So much has happened even in the last week, right? And we look at the world and we go, oh my goodness. For God so loved the world. The world. He calls this verse the gospel in miniature. God's motive is love. God's objective is salvation. However, God provides not salvation, but opportunity to the world. Did you get that? He doesn't provide salvation, but opportunity for salvation, right? What does it say? That whosoever believes. Do you understand that? It requires a step of belief. You don't know all the answers. All it takes is this. Saying yes to God and stepping into belief and he'll fill in the gaps. Remember, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. So, is this what you need? Do you need to take that initial step of believing in Jesus? What do you need? Take a minute and think this through. God sent his son Jesus to the cross. In the Old Testament, there was a a story of Abraham. Remember? God told Abraham, take your son Isaac, whom he had in his old age, right? And said, take him, sacrifice him for me. Okay, I don't know how many of you are parents here. I'm assuming a lot of you. Take your only child and sacrifice him. No, but Abraham went anyway. And you remember the story he went, and and just as he was about to kill the boy, an angel stayed his hand. And there in the thicket was this goat, or what we, the expression is now come to know as scapegoat. And God said, here, use that goat. Leave Isaac alone. In the very same way, God sent his son Jesus to die for us, but there was no scapegoat. He sent his only son, and his only son spread out his arms, and he died a a horrific death. Why? 
to pay the price for your sin and for mine. For God so loved the world. We think, uh, we read that and we go, oh, the world. No, 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 no. For God so loved me. For God so loved you. In a courtroom, the justice, the judge legally must punish a wrongdoer. He, he, he cannot let a breaking of the law go unpunished. It's legally irresponsible of him to do that. But what would have happened if the judge said, yes, you were guilty, but you can go free? My son over here will go to jail for you. In essence, that's what Jesus did. We need to realize that God is just. In other words, he must punish sin. He can't just go, oh, it's okay. And no, he must punish sin because God cannot have sin in his presence. Therefore, we cannot enjoy his presence, eternal presence, with sin in our lives. So he sent his son to die to pay the price for our sin. And thereby believing we can receive that gift, that gift of eternal life that he offers us. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Past, present, future, your sin, my sin, nailed to the cross. God's giving of his son begins with the incarnation or birth, if you will, God becoming flesh. I'd love to enter into this and go into the theological aspects of this because it had to be a perfect sacrifice. It could not be a sheep or a goat. It had to be perfect. And only God is perfect. And he sacrificed himself for us. That theological discourse is, is an incredible. But we need to move on. He came to life, died for us, that we might have the potential by believing in him of having eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What do you need? That's the first step. What do you need? We all need to understand the gospel. We need to realize that if you put your faith, your belief in Jesus, eternity with God begins today. Remember? Still not funny. One theologian put it this way. We have realized eschatology. I'm a Bible geek. So that term, I go, oh, that's, that's cool. I'm going to hang on to that one. What does it really mean? Eschatology meaning the end times, eternity. Realized meaning it's here right now. Do you realize that? By taking a step of faith, by believing in Jesus, you're a part of the kingdom. Now. It's not future. It's not like somehow, oh, that's heaven. Well, that, that's over there. No, here and now. Part of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Yes, come on, hallelujah, that's great. It's an incredible thing that God has offered us. Do you get that? Realized eschatology. It's a terribly convoluted phrase, but Bible geeks like me, we like it. Basically means eternal life is not just future, but present, right here, right now. What do you need? Are you on mission? There's a lost and dying world out there, people who need to know Jesus, people who need to hear about who he is, about what he did for them. 
Are you on mission? What do you need? Perhaps you are like Nicodemus. And you hear the gospel, but don't, don't quite understand, thereby simply needing understanding. Remember chapter 2? It tells of the wedding of Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine. There was a cleansing of the temple. Following the, uh, the turning of water into wine, it reads this. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory. Love that. And his disciples believed in him. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, and no one can do these signs uh, that, that you do unless God is with him. However, his belief is sufficiently tentative that he comes to Jesus at night. Maybe he doesn't want to be public. Maybe he just wants an evening where there's more time to discuss. We don't know. Jesus doesn't even respond to Nicodemus' reference to signs, but instead begins to teach Nicodemus about the entrance requirements to the kingdom of God. Are you a part of that kingdom? I asked you earlier, who are you? Where are you at? I'm not going to center you out or somehow embarrass you, but you need to ask of yourself, where am I at? Who am I? What's God doing? And am I responding? While Nicodemus seems totally befuddled by Jesus' comments in chapter 3, he'll later go on to serve Jesus. When it came to the, the ruling council talking about Jesus, what did he do? He stood up in, in support of him. After Jesus' death, what did he do? He took all the, the incense, etc., and, and then anointed Jesus for his burial. You see, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, got the information, didn't know everything, but took a step out in faith. And then as it went along, he, he served him. Nicodemus actually entered onto mission. Where are you at? Are you on mission? Where are you at in this process? What do you need? Please do not be discouraged if you're new to understanding this. For, for me, I, I was low-hanging fruit. I wanted to know so badly. Someone told me, and I responded to Jesus. But for some, it takes months, weeks, years. Please don't be discouraged if it's taking time. While Nicodemus didn't get it immediately, Jesus' words and ministry seem to have had a profound effect upon him over time. Hmm. I've been a student of the Bible for a long time, decades still learning and I don't have all the answers and I don't think anyone really does have all of the answers there's lots of questions together we can find the answers what do you need perhaps you've heard the gospel you have needed and discovered understanding but now you need something else the next step if you will let me make a confession to you this morning. I struggle with miracles. Now, let me explain that. I struggle with miracles. You know, there, there, there's these things going on in the world. There, there's people being raised from the dead. There's all sorts of these incredible miracles that are going on. And it's not that I don't believe them, but it's not part of my experience right now, here and now. 
And, and sometimes we're made to feel like, well, you know, somehow, somehow we're, we're missing it, we're, we're insignificant, that, you know, it happens over there, but it doesn't happen here. People are coming to faith by the hundreds, people are being raised from the dead, literally, miracles. It's not that I don't believe them. It's that I struggle with them not being present here. I want you to do something... You'll have to be obedient, remember. Um, I want you to do something literally. I want you to take the next 10 seconds and make eye contact with as many people in the room as you can. Go ahead. 10 seconds. Seven. Two. One. Thank you. 10, not 11. The people around you, those people who you made eye contact with, are ordinary people. Now, some of you are going, I'm not ordinary. <laughs> ordinary people. Sometimes we can be made to feel like we're less significant. Right? We can be made to feel like we're less significant because obvious miracles are not happening to us. There are parents here who are just plain old tired and don't want a miracle. They just want their kids to behave. <laughs> Life gets in the way. Look what's gone on in the last two years. Look what's gone on in the last week. And we're tired. And it's okay to be tired. Ordinary people. That's what the church is made up of. Not superhero Christians, not miracle workers per se, just ordinary Christians. What we need to realize, God is not ordinary. Do you get that? We're ordinary. He is not. God is not ordinary. And he wants to do things in our lives if we will but take a step. Get the next step. Get on mission. See what he can do in our lives. God is not ordinary. As much as you may be tired, overwhelmed by world circumstances, too busy to really dig into your faith, God is still at work. I love the song, Waymaker, right? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop. You never stop working. God is eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing. He can do this, change this world. And he asks us simply to join in, to help out, to be on mission. What do you need? Perhaps you need confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize sometimes that, that, that God just does something and then he whispers in your ear, that was me. Whispers. Confirms the, the working of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Does this happen every day? No. But sometimes he, he just whispers and it's just for you. That was me. Right? Do you get that, church? Do you get it? But before you can sense the confirmation from God, perhaps you just need a good night's rest. Really? 
Before you can be confirmed in your faith and see a miracle, perhaps you simply need to stop and read your Bible. To calm down, to slow down, to be quiet and seek his face. We look so often to the huge. We look for the miraculous, the mysterious, and fail to hear the still, small voice of God when he whispers in our ear, that was me. I believe God is working. He wants to confirm your faith. He wants to do something miraculous in your life. But that might just be as simple as confirming in your heart of hearts he loves you. Do you get that? God loves you. Really. Not the world. You. God loves you. And he loves me. And his son sent his son to die for us. It's an incredible truth. What do you need? John 3 is rich in imagery, irony, theology, and sophisticated wordplay. Because verse 16 is so well-known and so popular, we're, we're tempted to focus on it and to ignore the rest. However, we must realize to reduce this text to a one-verse slogan robs it of his richness. We must persevere the linkage between the story of Nicodemus and the context that follows it. Nicodemus was a religious leader, a teacher of teachers, yet it took time for him to understand to learn, to be on mission, and finally serve Jesus. What do you need? I know the gospel. I understand it. God has confirmed it to me. What do you need now? One step, then another, and a third. Sometimes, we, you know, we, we think in the grandiose. We think, I'm going to change this world. But we sit on our couch not knowing how. When God says, crack the book, crack the book. When God says, let's spend time together in prayer, spend time together in prayer. When God says, you know, I know you're busy, but I'd like you to join that community group. Join that community group. Do you see that it takes one step? Forget the grandiose. Do the small. Because the small things add up. And then we're on mission and we see, literally, this world changed for his glory. One step, the second, and the third. What do you need? We're to bring in. We're to build up. And we're to send out. That's our mission. Notice what it says back in here. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done, love those two words, through God. It's, it's not like somehow we have to sum up the courage. It's not how somehow we need to be magnificent. It's the fact that God is powerful and that God can work in and through us if we'll take one step.
God has called us as believers to walk in truth, to bear witness to the light that he has come into the world. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Let me close with this. Worship team, come please. In 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 1 and verse 21, it says this. Now notice, it says, For prophecy, the giving of scripture, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In the context, this is talking about the giving of scripture. They were carried along. That word carried along is the same word describing a sailboat. How does the sailboat move? It's carried along by the wind. Earlier, as part of the explanation to Nicodemus, Jesus said this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell it where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Do you sense God whispering in your life? Do you sense God motivating you, challenging you, changing you, moving you along? Is God carrying you along by his spirit? We need to be sensitive. We need to open our spiritual ears and go, oh God, what, what do you want? And we need to simply make a step. That's small, minutia, this incredibly little thing. But the more we listen, the more in tune our ears become. And the Spirit of God carries us along so that we might change this world. Remember what it says, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you have believed in him, you are born again. If you are born again, follower of Jesus, you have the forgiveness of sins. We are experiencing the kingdom of God right here, right now. And as such, we are spirit-filled, righteous people being carried along by the Spirit of God. We need to be reminded of that again and again, not just in church, but as we meet together, as we come together in community groups. We need to be reminded of who we are. We're children of the God Almighty members of the kingdom of God serving him. And we want to change this world for his glory. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for your people. Father, would you allow us to hear your voice, to take a step and to see what you want to do in and through us as we discover you, as you confirm it by your spirit and we step out in obedience. We bless you. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.